0: Hey Sunridge, if you're uh, new here, my name's Britt. I'm one of the pastors here, and um, I want to start by kicking it old school. Take you back to 1967 with the Turtles. Awesome band name, but uh, so just if you're if you're not 50 yet or whatever, just bear with me here and just let an old man dream his dreams. But. Um, you know the band the Turtles came out with a song called so happy together in nineteen sixty seven It actually bumped a Beatles song uh, Penny Lane from the number one spot and it held so happy together held that number one spot for for many weeks Uh, the words go like this uh, imagine you and me I do I think about it day and night it's only right to think about the girl you love and hold her tight so happy together and then the chorus, can we all sing along? I can't see me loving nobody but you for all my life. <laughs> Not a singer. I know. I know that. So um so so happy together. Is that true? Just so if you think that um, when you get married that you live forever, every day, so happy together, first of all, I want to congratulate you on your wedding yesterday. <laughs> and then I want to give a shout out to you for being in church the day after your wedding. I'm really proud of you for doing that. You know, um, you know we're in a series right now here at Sundreds, we're calling Lies We Believe. And uh, last week we looked at the lie that uh, Superwoman exists. And next week I want to tell you we're going to be talking about this lie that good people go to heaven. Check it out. And then today though I want to talk about this lie. That marriage is for your happiness. Aren't you ready to be so encouraged? And blessed? like, what, what is this crazy person talking about singing old songs and talking crazy talk? Um, You know, that lie, I think, has perpetuated a lot of uh, misconceptions in marriage. and um, It's put people unnecessarily under a load of guilt or thinking that somehow there's something wrong with you. And the flip side of that lie is for the single person who goes through life, especially, I think, in the Christian community. It's like, I'm not going to be happy until I'm married. Which is the other side of it right but before we jump into this topic I just want to like I want to talk to people that ha- you have a divorce in your uh, history or you know maybe you're just in the middle of a real real big struggle in your relationship you know I want to let you know that I'm kind of caught in between here between trying to help all of us move forward in our relationships but I don't want to do that by hurting anybody that's experienced a divorce or is in the middle of that. So uh, right right out of the gate, I want to just say that, you know, in, you know, statistically in America, about half the people um, who are, you know, of marrying age are divorced, half the population. And so that means that in our audience, it's likely that about half of us have gone through a divorce. And maybe when you did, uh, People pounded you with Bible verses like, God hates divorce, Malachi 2.16, which is actually true. God does hate divorce, but you know what? People do too. When, when Malachi said that, I think he's really echoing not just what God thinks, but what most of us think, that divorce is really painful, and if we any, have any choice in the matter, we would just as soon avoid it. But the truth is, we experience it because we're broken people. We live in a broken world. And because of that, um, you know, God bless you, Uh, some of you are divorced. It's just the result of the brokenness that's in the world. And I want to let you know that it's not my job or any other pastor's job here to try and figure out what happens in your house. There's no way that we could pull all of that apart. That's up to a counselor and and your engagement. I leave that to your conscience and what the Holy Spirit is doing in your lives. We recognize that there are people here that are divorced. And what what I want you to know as we move forward in this is we stand with you. Wherever, Wherever you're coming from, and by that I mean we as a church, myself as a pastor and our staff and our elders. If you've gone through a divorce, we stand with you. If you haven't, count yourself really fortunate. Because half the people have. And all we want to do today is help you from wherever you're starting from, whatever your situation is in this moment, to take the next best step forward toward God. Um, But we, we want to talk about some things that hopefully will prevent, if you had a divorce, maybe prevent that happening to you the future, and give those of us who are currently married or thinking about getting married to have the right perspective of what God is doing through a relationship called marriage, and for all relationships, for that matter. So, here's—I've been a little tongue-in-cheek with you on this title that marriage is uh, for your happiness. That that's a lie. The, the The truthful, the most truthful and accurate statement. Here is this, and this is in your notes. The lie we believe is that marriage is entirely for my happiness. Marriage is entirely for my happiness. And that, that philosophy bores its way into our marriages and every other relationship and gives us the perspective that relationships exist for me and for my beck and call. There's much more to it than that so the best way we said last week to refute a lie is with the truth and i want to again echo uh, paul's words in second corinthians chapter 10 verse 5 when he said this we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of god and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to christ in other words paul says that there there are cultural uh, philosophies that come forward there are things that we hear over and over again and they are lies, and we, we fall into believing them for, for many different reasons. We're deceived. But yet, we can refute those lies with the truth of Jesus Christ and his teachings and the Bible. And in, do, in so doing, we demolish those lies. Those are Paul's words, and that's exactly what we're going to do today in this lie that marriage was entirely for my happiness. Now, as with last week, every lie has, you know, the essential lie, and then it's the the derivatives of that lie. So we're going to look at four lies today. You guys ready for that? Can we do this? Or maybe we should just say amen and go home. I don't know. (laughs) I should never throw that out there. Not till we take our offering. Then you can leave. (laughs) Okay. So lie number one is this. If the relationship requires hard work, then it must not be right for me. The relationship requires hard work, then, the, then it must not be right for me. I mean, let's just say up front that relationships can't be all work, right? But often, they are. And when we, when we believe the lie that because I have to work at my relationship, uh, then, th- you know, it must be wrong for me, then that, that causes us to quit unnecessarily a relationship. It causes us undue pain and anxiety. And it causes us to move on from things that God is doing in our lives through that relationship. It has, it has different versions. Uh, it could be um, in the heat of the moment, in the middle of a conflict, you say, I must have married the wrong person because this is work. So therefore, it must be the wrong person. Um, and, you know, it can get even worse in the middle of that, having tension at home, if our focus isn't right, someone else gives us attention at the gym, in our office, um, at your church. And then we start to think, that's the perfect person for me. This is stressful. This, there's, there's tension in this relationship because of the wrong person. But this other person is like perfect for me. And so if I just leave this relationship and jump into that one, it's going to be Beautiful. And then there's probably a milder form of this lie that basically makes you think when you're struggling in your relationship and you're starting to spark a little, that, you know, um, there's something wrong with you, like we're not normal. The truth here on this lie is that all close relationships are work. All close relationships are work. And closeness here is defined by obviously a commitment, a vow in marriage, that makes you close. It could be blood, your family. I mean, if your family. your family you do not get to pick your family, so you're close there. Or maybe you're just in proximity in that relationship. You're connected at your church, in your workplace, on a team, in some other kind of a group. That's, that's your circle, and so you are close by that way. So any close relationship that you can think of that's gone on for any period of time, can you think of, Like, is there any one of them that pops to your mind that you've never had any tension or conflict? Probably not. Because all close relationships are work. And all close relationships eventually experience conflict. Uh, When I was in college, one summer, I got to spend the summer in an apartment with my two other best buddies. So what could be a better relational circle than to live with your best college buddies in the summer together in an apartment. It would be beautiful, right? Well, it wasn't but a few weeks that we were living together that, you know those guys, they drank all my chocolate milk? I'm like, dude, replace my chocolate milk. Um, And then, Okay, like this kind of reveals like some problems I have with myself, but uh, I know it's hard to believe, but um, they came home late one night. I was upstairs in bed, but you know, I was right near the, the stairs, and they were eating cereal, probably with the milk I bought, but, and they kept clanking their spoons on the bowl, and that's a thing for me, it was driving me crazy. Clank, 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 and then they're, I could hear them smacking their cereal, and so, like, I yell down the stairway some unchristian thing about what they were doing. What am I saying? It's like, if you're in proximity to other people, you're going to have conflict. If that wasn't true, why does the Bible put so much emphasis on our need for relationships, yet address so many times the, the conflicts and how to address them and how to deal with those tensions, those interpersonal tensions. Let me let me show you a few. Uh, in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter four, verse two, he says to be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Do you know what it means to bear with, to put up with? If it, if that's not necessary, why would Paul take time to write that? Later in that same chapter, he takes it another step. Further, in verse 32, and he says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as Christ forgave you. So first I'm bearing up, bearing, putting up with, and then I'm forgiving, and, and then he matches those two together in Colossians or 3.13, when he says, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So many verses, so many words from the Apostle Paul, from Jesus, that address that interpersonal conflict that is just a reality of being a human being. In fact, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians seven twenty-eight. he addresses specifically the marriage relationship. Those who marry will face many troubles in life. <laughs> Amen. All committed relationships are work. Sometimes they're hard work. And sometimes, marriage is very hard work. Write that down, underline it, bold it, tattoo it on your forehead. All close relationships are work. And so, if you're experiencing conflict in your relationship, you're normal. It it may be you need some help. You should get help if you're stuck. Seek your friends. Seek healthy marriages for advice, get counseling, read a book, listen to a podcast, go to a seminar. Don't just stay stuck. But the fact that we have tension in relationships is normal. It's, par- it's, n- it's, n- it's just part and parcel to the human experience. And in fact, working through that, putting in the hard work in a relationship, It's not just normal, it's the path to intimacy. It's the pathway to a real relationship. Lie number two, none of my relationship problems are my fault. None of my relationship problems are my fault. This, It's all your fault philosophy is basically um, I have my act totally together and you don't. You're all jacked up but I'm totally good, and our relationship would be going on just fine if you weren't in it. (laughs) That's really what we're saying, right? It's all your fault, and so that blame takes, that lie, it takes on many different forms. First of all, there's the, it is all your fault, and uh, you go to the counselor, and you're like, fix them. We're here because they need counseling, I'm just here to be supportive, (laughs) right? That's one version of it. Another one is it's kind of like it's about the percentages. It's like auto insurance. The magic number is 51, right? you got to get to 51% in an accident, and then their insurance pays. And so in the conflict, what we're trying to do is just negotiate up to getting them to to accept 51% of the blame. And if we can get it, then we're like, we're out. It's all on you. You pay up. That's another version of it's none of this is my fault. And then, then there's a, another version where we accept fault, but we use the that's because clause. You know, that one's like, yeah, I did do that, but it's because you did that, right? And we can even use that for sin. We can say, well, I had, I had this illicit relationship because you do or don't do certain things. You know that that's because um, excuse. Uh, let me just show you something. Like, what's in this bottle? Did you say vodka? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's water. Okay. So if I shake this bottle, what's going to come out? Water. Why is water going to come out when I shake this bottle? Because that's what's in it. Right. If I put chocolate milk in here and I shook it, what would come out? Chocolate milk. Do you know what conflict and tension in a relationship does? It shakes us. And you know what comes out? What's in us? What we already had. And all that conflict does is reveal what was already going on inside of us. So the truth to none of these problems are my fault is this that all lasting relationships require constant plank removal. I'll explain that in a minute if you're not a Bible person. All lasting relationships require constant plank removal. See, we don't have relationship problems. We have problems that we bring into our relationship. I love Jesus' words on this in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, verse 3. He says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye don't you love how jesus puts things sometimes what a great picture of the none of it's my fault philosophy i love um what tim keller says about fault in a relationship he talks about like what is the kernel of truth in this maybe it's not all true but like leaning forward and leaning into it and say, what's the kernel of truth for me? And then he takes it a step further, and he says, what can I repent of in this conflict? What can I repent of? You know, that's, that's a whole nother step beyond um, what can I own or what do I have to own. This is like leaning forward in a way to say, you know, I have... I must have, because I'm a human being and all human beings are broken, I must have something that needs a change in me that i brought to this conflict. What can I repent of? News flash for all of us. You're not perfect. No, really, you're really not. So the idea of plank removal, it's a really important concept grasp because it's amazing what we can learn in the middle of a conflict and how that conflict can be resolved if we're investing energy into listening and leaning forward to say what what is my part in this you know if we don't do that do you know what the likelihood is that we will repeat that mistake over again? A hundred percent. Until we come into conflict without trying to pick a speck, but first seeing the big plank in our own eye, if we can't do that, we're just going to repeat that crazy cycle over and over and over again. Ready for lie three? No? Okay, we're not done yet. You guys okay? Yeah. All right. Lie three, you owe me. You owe me. All relationships are loaded with expectations. Translated, we think people owe us. You know, uh, when when a couple walks down the aisle when I'm doing a wedding ceremony, it's like I get teary-eyed and, and and I know what they're thinking when they come down the aisle. It's like, it's we're going to be so happy together. And everything's going to be beautiful. They're not thinking about issues that are coming. How many of you watched uh, Harry and Meghan? Can I just call him Harry? Prince Harry? Get married. Sweet. Yeah. You know, when I was watching that on the early news, I, I was... I was asking myself, does the tradition still apply that the father of the bride has to pay for the wedding? (laughs) But more than that, even if you're a prince and a movie star, when you get married, you're coming down the aisle with a box. You can't see it. But in that box, if you could see it, they're carrying down is like a box of expectations of the other person. And translated means, you owe me to fulfill all these things. If you're thinking about getting married or you're engaged right now, I would just ask that person, like, what's in the box? (laughs) Oh, nothing. It's all kinds of expectations that we bring. And it's like, in that relationship, that marriage is like, We have all these ideas about how things are going to go that we haven't talked about and they're just expectations and we just want to say, okay, thank you for marrying me, here's my box. Now, I know some of you have a much bigger box than this, I'm aware of that. I think it's normal to have expectations, but it's also healthy to recognize that we have them and sometimes they're unrealistic, sometimes they're perfectionistic. And that can lead to a toxicity in a relationship. One of the, one of the things that makes expectations toxic is we can think, um, boy, if they don't fulfill this, I can't be happy. And so in every instance where they don't meet our expectation, we, we experience a little more unhappiness. And that unhappiness is directed at, at the person that we're married to. And then there's another way we do it. it's like not only do we have like, like things that we're expecting of that person but some of us have a list of unmet expectations. And there's like a, there's an Excel spreadsheet of all the times where that person didn't do what they were supposed to do and they didn't even know what was in your box. But you've helped them see that. Um, so we keep an accounting. And then when they don't fulfill that, then we we kind of like give them jabs or try to hurt them. We have the, the, the UNO uh, perspective on relationships. You guys play UNO? If you've never played it, don't ever play with me and my family because we have a box of expectations about how it's supposed to be played. And one of those expectations is don't hand me your skip card if we're married. Because <laughs> you're causing me pain. And if you do, in the next game, if I get an opportunity to give you a pick four, I'm going to do it with a big smile on my face. <laughs> That's how the sites roll. I'm just saying. We're a competitive lot. But we can't have uno relationships where you didn't do what I wanted you to do, so now I'm going to do something that I know you don't want me to do. The truth of you owe me is this, that we has to remain stronger than I in our relationships. We has to remain stronger than I in relationships. When, when I and you are stronger, then we have a problem. Think about the last robust discussion you had at home. Were you using we or were you using I and you? Because that's an indicator. It's like I, I do this and, and, and I, I need this and you do that. Or are you saying, you know, when we get in this situation, we do this. Which is it? That's a good indicator of whether you're in a we relationship or an I. And which is stronger? In every wedding ceremony I do, I talk about um, how Jesus said that when a man and a woman get together, when they're married, um, they leave their father and mother, and they become one flesh. In marriage, we go from the individual to the team. That has implications for parents whose children are getting married. It has implications for friends who their friends are getting married, and it has implications for people who are getting married. It is about we now. We are one flesh. Paul said in Philippians 2.4 that each of us should look not only just on our own interests, but on the interests of others. And essentially what he's saying is in a relationship, we can do this, and each of us fighting to serve one another and to support each other, Or we can do this, where each of us is trying to gain the upper hand and fight to the top. In Colossians 3.12, Paul writes, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, because you are loved by God and you are his child, then clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. In other words, in your relationships, reflect what God has done for you and the nature that God has brought to you through the redeeming work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And ultimately, we have to ask, well, who, who really, when it gets down to it, who meets our needs? In Philippians 4.19, the apostle Paul writes, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. I know that that relationships have a dynamic, and there are expectations. But if we put our expectations like in a box and just constantly have the perspective that someone owes us something, not only does that not accomplish what we want to accomplish, it will actually do the opposite and drive that person into like this drudgery of just trying to stay off the bad list part of the relationship. And it is not reflecting the Christian experience of who God has made us to be and the changes that he's making within us. See, relationships aren't business transactions. It is, there isn't an accounting system that says, okay, I did this for you, you do that for me. And relationships aren't really uh, a supervisor talking to their employee with a work improvement plan. This is, here's how you can get off a naughty list. That's not what, what marriage is. It's a partnership where we are one. And we are working together for how God is changing us. We're going to talk about that. If you want we to be more a part of your relationship, then meet each other's needs as best you can without keeping score. Help each other out because it's the right thing to do instead of using what you do to manipulate something out of them. Do things for others because it was your choice to do so and nothing is owed to you in return. And be grateful when someone is loving and helpful to you and accept it as a gift from them. Last lie, lie number four, I shouldn't have to change. I shouldn't have to change. How many of you know the cartoon Popeye? Remember that? Do you remember what he used to say? I am what I am. Anybody with me there? And sometimes we say that, right? It's like, I am what I am. You can't change me. And some of that is true. I'm not like discounting the the individuality and the uniqueness that God uh, makes us with. But you have to ask the question, what about me, that I am what I am, isn't so hot? And maybe it needs to change. The lie I shouldn't have to change basically undermines everything that God is doing in us. Um, last week, we talked about this confusion about what is God's will or calling for a mom. Moms can say things like, I, I, my whole life is for my children. And we talked about how that's idol worship of our children, that the calling of every Christian is to follow Jesus Christ. That's where we start. And, and in doing that, we will be the best at whatever role God has placed us in. So what is God's will and calling for us in marriage? Is it to be happy? Well, of course, God, we want to be happy. And I think that God has designed us to be happy in that relationship. But really, with the calling of following Jesus Christ, once you become a Christian, um, God is changing you. We we receive Christ in faith and we are saved and there's no performance attached to that. There's There's no conditions on that. God's grace is free and received through faith in Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian, to become a Christian simply means to place your faith in Jesus Christ. But God doesn't say stay that way forever. He loves us too much to leave us that way. And from that point forward, God is transforming us into the image of his son. In other words, this life lived, God is inspiring us, he's bringing circumstances, he's working on us to shape us and mold us, to make us more like Jesus Christ. And that requires change. God is constantly changing us to make us more like Jesus Christ the truth is that relationships are all about change we can't say you can't you know I should not have to change because that relationship really is designed to bring change in fact it's part of God's entire plan through relationships. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. The imagery is there that relationships hone us. They're making us more like Jesus Christ. Sometimes that t- that's a little bit of grinding, a little sharpening of that edge. And change is part of growing as a Christian, as we already mentioned. But uh, Peter's words in his second letter Chapter 1, verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness, knowledge, and on it goes. It's like, you start with faith, but God is changing us. There's growth to be had, but it requires that we stick with it. James 1, 4, let perseverance finish its work. So that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Last week we talked about how our highest calling is to follow Jesus. And in a relationship, our highest calling is still to follow Jesus Christ. And that means allowing him to transform us to become more like his son. And God does that through the scripture. He does it through the Holy Spirit. And he does it through our relationships. And in particular, I think he does it through marriage. To me, marriage is like a rock tumbler. Uh, little nerdy science kids do this thing. I was one. You, a rock tumbler. You put the they give you this little kit and it's got these kind of rough, just normal looking rocks. You put them in this little drum and you put a little grit in there and some water and they tumble around for weeks and voila! When it's done, those those stones are rounded and polished. And marriage is a relationship, a change environment in which we're put in a tumbler together, and we tumble around, and God uses that relationship to polish us up. I'm going to read a long passage of scripture, but we're almost done, and this is again from the Apostle Paul, the most prolific writer in your New Testament. If you're new to the Bible, Paul was a a man, a Pharisee, a a traditional uh, religious person, who was miraculously converted. And then in his conversion, he went and spread the gospel around the known world. And the churches that he planted in different cities, he wrote letters back to them. And the letter to the Ephesians is one such letter. And in this section, he's addressing marriage and the marriage relationship. Ephesians 5.21 says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. In this way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. Verse 34, we are members of his body. For this reason... A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. Now, a really long passage, but you see what, do some words jump off these pages from the 10,000 foot level? Paul talks about in all relationships we are to submit to one another, that we serve one another that we come underneath each other and in this situation in Ephesus he gives special emphasis to whatever was happening in the church there in particular to the wives we don't know why he singles them out it's a continuation of his initial thought that everybody submits to one another but he specifically says this to the wives and then to the husbands he says you gotta love your wife like your own body and like Christ loved the church So, does the idea of serving somebody more than yourself and loving somebody more than your, as much as you love yourself, and to love that person like Christ loved the church who gave himself for it, does that sound like change to you? Does that sound like change is going to be required in that process? Yes. Marriage is in a change environment. And that change happens through and the change is made in us that we serve one another and we love each other. And the, the picture here is even change. That as a husband loves his wife, just as Christ loved the church, Jesus loves the church, that's us. And he gave himself for it, and the process, as we mentioned, is he's, the imagery here is he's creating a beautiful bride, saying you're starting here, but we're going to prepare you for your wedding day, which is going to make you beautiful. That's change. Now, it's important to notice that he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Again, you see the idea of the submitting or the serving we do of one another is because of what Christ has done for us and because we're emulating him. We, we don't serve them to grind it out or we don't serve them to get something back. We serve them because we're fulfilling what Jesus Christ has asked us to do and has done for us. And then in loving one another, we're to love just as Christ loved the church, which is the ultimate sacrifice. Serving is all about change. And loving requires learning one another. And I love to surf. But if I love to surf, it requires that I learn how to surf. And so, in loving one another, we're constantly learning from one another. And God is changing us through that relationship. The reason why that's important. Is because if, if our goal, if our ultimate goal is to be happy, that can become a momentary idol that makes us miss what God is doing in us in our relationship. We, just as a mom, as we talked about last week, can, can make her children her idol over and above following Jesus Christ, so too in our, in our marriage relationship, we can put happiness as our idol. And when we do that, we fail to allow God to change us from within because we have our priorities messed up. We're pursuing happiness instead of Christ-likeness. The problem for all of us, I think, is that when we, when we put our, our in the moment our personal pursuit of happiness over what God is doing in our lives then we're missing out on what God wants to do which is to make us like Jesus and to allow us in our relationships to shine that same love to the people that God puts around us. I want to circle back around to where we started in our audience today there are some of you that you're right in the middle of tension in your relationship and i would just say to you consider the things that we that we've talked about today and maybe change your perspective to the truths that we've talked about and put allowing jesus to form christ in you over and above your happiness your momentary happiness if you do that you will ultimately find the happiness you're looking for. Some of you are in a great place in your relationship, and, you know, like this is just a tune-up for you. And I would say to you, it's like take what God has given you as a gift and not only be grateful for it and enjoy it and drink it in, but also use what you've learned to help people who are in the middle of tension or struggle because you've learned some things. If, if there's brokenness in your past, God's grace is far more powerful than that. In a moment, we're going to sing um, these words that I think apply so well to what we've talked about. About give me faith, God. Let, make the changes in me. And so uh, I'm going to pray and the band's going to come out. And I would just say, let the words of this song be not just like a wrap-up to the song, let's get to the final close and let's get out of here, but, but make the words of this song a prayer in reflecting on the relationships that God has placed you in. Let's pray.